May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. If you were asked to introduce yourself to someone, what would you say? If you were meeting a person for the first time, how would you choose to describe yourself so that the other person knows important things about you? What characteristics do you see as so essential to who you are and how you live that you consider them necessary for someone to know so that they can understand who you are? Would sharing where you're from be a useful detail? Would you include information about your work, your family, your church? Would mentioning your hobbies or your favorite books or movies be helpful in defining who you are? Do you consider the political party you support or the sports team you follow to be information critical to understanding what you're all about? How much information are you comfortable sharing with a new acquaintance? What details might you choose to hold back, not willing to tell a stranger, fearing that some of what is important to you might be met with suspicion, disapproval, or even hostility if something that is a fundamental part of yourself is viewed as being an opposition or a threat to something precious to the other person? Do you tend to react to other people in a similarly negative way when you find out something about them that doesn't align with what you value? It is not at all difficult to see how much conflict exists between people in our local community, in our nation, and in too many parts of the world. Based on recent history, as Election Day approaches, the wider political discourse will become more heated and negative and accusatory, with side-taking and name-calling taking center stage. In the ongoing violence in the Holy Land, opposing ethnic, religious, and political groups are caught up in a war resulting in death, destruction, and displacement for so many with grief and pain and loss felt throughout the region. In our own local community, addressing issues like the lack of affordable safe housing, access to nutritional food, and support for people battling substance abuse and mental illness is often mired in competing interests, opposition and criticism while families and individuals live struggling with daily insecurity and hardship. In all of these areas and in so many more, there is the risk that the only options we see are to either add our angry voices to those who have staked out their side in opposition to whatever or whomever we see as our enemy or our adversary, or to opt out entirely removing ourselves from all of the ugliness and conflict, not wanting to be part of the ongoing conflict. But are these really our only options? 
I'm pretty sure that Jesus points us to another way as he responds to the attempted trap laid for him in our story from Matthew today. Jesus has been going around preaching, teaching, and healing people, and his actions have gotten the attention of the area's religious leaders, as well as those with political power, who both consider Jesus to be a threat to what they value and want to protect. The good news of Jesus is seen as so radical and threatening that it has made temporary allies of the Pharisees, those who hold religious authority, and of the Herodians, whose power and privilege come from their political positions. These two groups get together to plot and to trick Jesus into making a statement they can use to discredit him, either by having Jesus validate the emperor, who claims that his power is divinely granted, or by having Jesus make statements that could be seen as seditious and inciting rebellion. Instead, Jesus turns upside down the question of whether it is lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not. Rather than the question being one that forces Jesus into taking the side of either group, making him declare his loyalty to one side or the other, the answer Jesus gives points to something else entirely. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are God's. Jesus does not give an either-or response to the question, despite the original question being framed to get an either-or answer. The emperor's image is on the coin to pay the tax, so what belongs to the emperor can be given back to the emperor. It's the second part of the answer that has much larger implications. Give to God the things that are God's. Despite the real power and control for good or ill that may be held by an emperor or some other ruler, it pales in comparison to all that belongs to God. God, the creator of the world, who has made the world so firm that it cannot be moved. God, from whom all blessings flow. God, to whom we belong. Give to God the things that are God's. Far above the various loyalties and the affiliations that may get our attention is the importance of remembering that we belong to God. And it is on that divine belonging that we should focus our attention. How do we do this? What might it look like to give to God the things that are God's? What might it mean for us in our local community, in our nation, and in our world to live like this? What do we need to change to live in a generous, faithful way? Are there allegiances to people and powers that we give our loyalty to without questioning that are keeping us from giving to God the things that are God's? Are we tempted to despair that the emperors of this world and of our time are too powerful for anything to be done, and so we opt out, giving nothing? 
When we pay attention to Jesus' example, we can see how to live our lives giving to God what is God's. Although Jesus holds no political power, nor does he ever attempt to do so, he does pay attention to the ways that the powerful use their position to oppress and exploit the weak. He shines a light on the harmful actions, and he appeals for change. When religious leaders act in ways that cause harm and suffering for the people, he speaks out about the damage being done and calls for repentance and changed action. In doing these things, Jesus takes great personal risk and is seen by many as unfaithful or traitorous. But by his actions, he is giving to God the things that are God's. We all have opportunities to give to God in this way. And we are called to live this way as followers of Jesus. Despite understanding that doing so may be potentially uncomfortable or possibly risky. Giving to God what is God's can be taking action to get discriminatory or hurtful laws and regulations changed when we see that they are causing harm. It can be speaking up at work or at school when we recognize that something is occurring that is harmful or improper. Remembering that we belong to God can give us the courage to be more aware of the needs and concerns of others and be prepared to reach out in love to help as we are able. Even when doing so may put us at odds with others who see our actions as threatening or disloyal. Some might see doing these kinds of things as being reckless or misguided. But I would argue that when we live this way, it is a sign of our being able, as we promise in our baptismal vows, to put our whole trust in God's grace and love, giving to God the things that are God's. May we all remember that we belong to God. And may that understanding and the trust of our divine belonging give us the courage and strength to persevere with steadfast faith each and every day, giving of ourselves freely at every opportunity, not hindered by fear and worry about what we might lose, but joyfully trusting that much more will be found through God's grace and love. Amen.